Hey guys, welcome to Legendary. We've got a special episode coming your way. I know that many of you are dealing uh, with the crisis that's happening and going on right now. And, uh, you know, we're, we're dealing with that crisis too. And in fact, Sam is, is completely disconnected, has no internet. Um, so we, we actually had no way to even record a podcast episode uh, this month. But uh, fortunately, we had one sitting in the pocket and we're so thankful that we, we did that. And we uh, had recorded a previous uh, episode with, with Jeff Hartensfeld again and uh, on the subject of family. But before we get into that, I thought it would be great to have Jeff here to do the intro with me and, and just talk a little bit about what's going on. So, Jeff, you're, you've been quarantined for, for uh, quite a while. Have you seen the <laughs> yeah. light of day in the past <laughs> <Yeah>. two weeks? <laughs> yeah, you know, um, I, I, I've spent so much time at home in these last two weeks. It's <laughs> the most time <laughs> I've been in this house since I've been back in Springfield for eight years. I said, yeah. uh, you know, my dog told me this is the best thing that ever happened to him. You know? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know what's more impactful. The fact that, uh, that your dog thinks that, or that he was speaking to you and you <laughs> think that your dog is speaking to you. He just uses sign language or yeah, he okay. wags tail a lot, you know? So. <laughs> okay. So you're, you've got a new language school experience that you're going to with your dog and, uh, probably, probably seeing some household projects that need some attention maybe. Yeah. You know, honestly, Jonathan, um, I, I said to a couple people, I feel like I've earned my pay the last two weeks. I mean, I've never <laughs> been in a situation like this before where I've been literally quarantined to my house. People had to bring me food. Um, yeah. You know, fortunately, we had some things on hand, but, you know, I got my daughter in town, so people brought right. us food. But, no, we were literally not allowed to um, go out of the house. You yeah, know? you so, said you, you guys were having, what was it, uh, uh, health officials calling like twice a day to check on you guys, yeah, right? Yeah. So part of it is, you know, um, one of our EC members jokingly, you know, he was identified as patient number four. So he was patient number four in Springfield. So when they called, wow. they're like, so you know, you had close contact with patient number four. And I'm like, yeah, how close? I'm like, well, a lot of contact, you know? <laughs> so, um, so they called me and Liz a tier two, um, you know, I guess risk or whatever. So we were told to stay home and it was even with, you know, under threat of penalty, you know, with the law, so yeah. to speak that, you know, if, if they caught us leaving, you know, we would have been in trouble, but it was all for the greater good. It was no problem for us, you know? So, um, I just want you to know that we're fine though. And, uh, we've managed that, but it's surreal that two months ago, you, Sam and I were in Jakarta recording this yeah. next podcast. And yet yeah. there's no mention at all of what was the, the pending, you know, thing that was about to happen. It's, you know? it's scary how fast it all changed. Like how I was talking with, with Melissa about that, like it, how quickly we went from, yeah, oh, this thing is happening to the entire world is, uh, you know, shut down and being affected by this. Yeah. Um, you know, it was, it was interesting that I, I still think that we didn't feel it that much in America until it was like when Greg and Ron and the EC members, and then yeah. it just, it, and that, it wasn't them, but it blew up across yeah. the United States. And at the recording yeah. of this podcast, 
we're like at 125 or 130,000 positive cases and um, hospitals are starting to get overwhelmed. And Jonathan, the message to the men is we are living in some uncertain times yeah. right now. And um, so I want to give just a word of encouragement before, you know, we, we, you get rolling on the family uh, podcast. And that is that, you know, we, we need men of courage at these times. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's interesting that countries are going to probably start barring Americans from coming in. Meaning, you guys are fortunate enough to be out in the harvest. I couldn't get on a plane and yeah. go to you right now. Right. You know, so right. so you're, you you guys are kind of, even if you said, well, I'll go home to the States, you may not be able to get back to the country of your calling. Right. Be, be thankful that, that God has you in a place right now and take courage. Uh, I was reading this morning, uh, D.L. Moody, I got an old book with a bunch of his sermons and he rewrote a sermon on courage. I was reading it and he started with Joshua, went back to Noah and then went to Gideon and then just cataloged men of courage in the Bible. You know, I want to just ask all of you men that as you're reading through your devotions or looking through the Bible that if you need courage, read David and Goliath, <laughs> you know, read Gideon, uh, you know, read about, you know, read through Judges. Boy, there was so many like heroes in the book of Judges and Joshua, of course, and Moses. And so, you know, it's kind of like you guys are, you guys are in biblical times. I said to someone the other day, this is a plague of biblical proportions. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. and so it's going to require people with biblical courage mm-hmm. to stand in the midst of it, and you know we do have missionaries getting sick with it. Yeah, so far mostly here in the U.S., a couple in Europe, but I don't think we're going to get a free pass as a mission on yeah. this. So we will end up, you know, some of us being positive with it, and let's pray to the Lord that you know, we, we can walk through it. It's a great point that you brought out about us as an organization being already in these places. The fact that we can't return home. I thought about this the other day. What organization is in such a great position to respond to the crisis that's happening around the world? Yeah, Like we literally, it, it, we couldn't have planned it better as far as having people that are walking in the peace of God, hopefully, right? Yes. Walking in the peace of God, walking in the courage of God, walking in the, the rooted in, in the understanding that God is working his plan. His plan hasn't stopped. And for us to be able to respond to the panic, to the crisis, to the fear that is all happening around us. And God has placed us in, uh, in these locations for this season. He knew it was going to happen. And, um, I tell you, even the news about uh, Greg, when that came, it it was totally, uh, I felt like a gut punch, you know, <laughs> honestly, because we had just sat down and had this incredible time with him. And Sam and I just walked away um, feeling not not just encouraged, but man, challenged in our own. There were things that I walked away from that podcast that I immediately started doing in my time with God. Like I, I changed some things 
because of that podcast, just because I felt challenged by them and I felt like a renewed sense of like urgency to increase my closeness with God and my, my complete surrender and abandonment. And so Greg's words were so powerful in my ears. And so Melissa and I, we stood in the, in in our kitchen downstairs reading it on Facebook and man, we just, we just bawled on his behalf. We just cried out to heaven, you know, for him. And, uh, so it, it, it really hit home. I think when, when that, that started to happen. And, uh, so, you know, it's, it's, how can we, um, how can we be legendary in this moment? You know, how can we be legendary? Because I think guys right now are, you've got that whole thing of like, how do I continue ministry? How do I continue being what I know I should be versus, Hey, I got to take care of my family. Like my, my family is my, my number one concern. You know, how do you balance those two objectives? Well, you know, we're going to have the family podcast and, you know, I think we even mentioned in that podcast that Mm -hmm. it, you know, protection of your family is absolutely, you know, paramount in all of this. And yet at the same time, you know, we've got this call of God and we've got to trust him. Um, you know, I, it's interesting. I'm going to quote one of the women of AP. So I know this is men's legendary podcast, but yeah. my wife reads like the MK chat thing. And a lot of ladies, you know, are commenting there. And um, one of our missionaries, they were commenting because all over the world, the, the U.S. government has pulled its employees back. <laughs> but some people yeah. are just discovering that, Okay. So they were chatting about this in the ladies thing. And one of the AP missionaries got on. This is awesome. She got on among all the ladies and people chatting there. And she said, the way I read that announcement, it makes sense for them to pull out their employees. They're responsible for them. Personally, our family isn't here at the assignment of AGWM, but of the Lord. He Mm -hmm. hasn't called us home. So we will stay until he does come what may. That was like a legendary woman of AP. (laughs) You hear that guys? (laughs) Yeah. Hear that. You know, that's the kind of resolve we've got to have. And I think, you know, a couple of their comments in that page were saying, why go back to America? We've got more cases. Our hospitals are overwhelmed. And yeah, I realized, yeah. you know, you you might get better medical care here, but most of the COVID-19 patients are being told, don't come to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Stay at home, rest, Ride it out. antivirals, you'll be fine. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, obviously, you know, there, there's people that have some underlying issues, probably need to be a little more cautious, but take precautions and yet take courage in the Lord. And I think I've been saying that all along, but I'm glad you asked me to do a little bit of little, you know, prequel here, whatever this is, you know, a little precursor to the uh, podcast, because it would be insensitive if we didn't talk about the main issue that all of us are thinking about and facing right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think what, man, what a challenge um, to hear those statements. And, and I think, we talked about this in our live stream for our church yesterday, Melissa and I, but um, 
we can pretend as guys to have it all under control. We can pretend <laughs> to be completely confident in this situation, but we all know that there have fun. been those moments. There have been those moments when you're like, are we okay? Are, you know, are, <laughs> yeah. is this, <laughs> and, and I just encourage you, you know, um, to, to take captive your thoughts, yes, thank um, you. control, you know, your input affects your output and if all your input is negative, um, it's going to be really difficult to be a positive influence um, in the place that you're in. And that includes the input that you allow, that you give place to in your head um, of giving place to negative thoughts and fearful thoughts and things like that. And so if we want to be the strong men of AP and we want to be the strong uh, missionaries that are leading by example – we have to start right in in between our two ears, you know, yep. and start taking taking captive those thoughts. And so, um, it's it's with those you know with those thoughts. And Jeff, if there's anything else, do you have anything else that you want to add to this before? Yeah, we wrap? you know, just I, I loved what you said there. And in front of your family, keep pretending. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, if you're panicking, because, it's not gonna. That's right. The, if you go down, well. the whole family will go down. Right. So, right. You know, keep a stiff upper lip. And I want to add here that courage is not the absence of fear. Yes. Yeah. Courage is even though fear comes on us, we we draw on the Lord. We draw on the name mm-hmm. of the Lord. Like you said, you take captive your thoughts and say, yes, I'm afraid, but I will depend on the Lord, my God. And right. I think we sometimes think to ourselves that someone who's courageous is not afraid and it's the exact mm-hmm. opposite. We mm-hmm. should have fear in a, on a certain level. Like we should yeah. realize our situation is serious. It's serious. Yeah, this is serious. And, you know, the end times could be upon us. Yeah, yeah. But boy, if the Lord's rapture is right around the corner and he takes you out right now and says, where were you? Mm. I was in the harvest field. Yeah. Taking in souls for Jesus. That's Rather good. than I, I ran home to my family to be with them. You'll be with them in eternity. <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah. right, right. So I, I just want to encourage you to be strong in the Lord, be strong in your calling, and you know, take courage. I really do believe that there'll be a moment where this thing will abate, but it might be several months. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you know, t- time will return where you'll be able to come home at your regular times, because many of you would have been in the field anyway. <laughs> right, right. People are like, well, we have bad medical. I'm like, you have bad medical all the time anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing has changed. So take courage anyway. The medical in the country where you're serving is not good. I realize we're in the midst of a pandemic, so that could make right. it obviously even worse. But we're in a situation here where things aren't that much better at this point. And I'm hoping that all these stay-at-home orders across America the next 30 days will make a difference. So yeah, I know, can I open the podcast in prayer for the family? Please, and close yeah, the- yeah, please do, please do. So Lord, Jonathan and I bind our hearts together and we pray for our leaders that are sick and not well. Lord, I pray <laughs> that by the time this podcast 
is aired that I'm going to be able to announce on my Facebook, Greg Mundus is off the ventilator. Lord, I just pray he gets off of that ventilator. I know he's improving, but I pray he would improve enough so that he at least he can get off of that ventilator, Lord. Yes. yes. Father, I also pray for um, the men of Asia Pacific and ask that this would be a moment in time where we rise to the occasion and you give us courage, Lord, beyond anything we knew that we had. Lord, this could be the Goliath of our lifetime. So, Lord, help us to not depend on the armor of what we thought was a medical system, what we thought was an evacuation plan. But, Lord, let us depend on you and you alone. Let us depend on the fact that we've been watching your sheep all our lives, and we've defended them from bears and lions. And, Lord, you've prepared us for this moment. So help us, O God, to be those men of courage, I pray. Lord, let them be courageous in their family, among their, their host church colleagues, and among each other, Lord, in this great missionary family. So, Lord, bless all the men again of Asia Pacific, keep us safe, keep our families safe from harm, that you'll be our shield and our protection and our refuge, Lord. Mm. And we depend on you. And we ask all these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Jeff. And and guys, um, you know, we're we're continually praying for you. Continue to pray for Greg, pray for our leadership and those that are affected by this. Um, and those that are having to lead in moment a moment of crisis, they need our uh, they need our prayers um, so that they have the wisdom to make decisions that they need to make. And uh, and you know this episode is not about Corona, so I hope that maybe you'll also enjoy it because it's not talking about uh, what you're hearing about every day, but it is full of wisdom. It is full of things that are going to help you, uh, that are going to minister to you, and hopefully uh, give you some tips on some things that you're going to be dealing with as as fathers and as leaders in in your life. And so um, so enjoy this uh, episode again with the awesome Jeff Hartensfeld. And Jeff, it's been good to see you, man. You too, bro. Hey guys, welcome back to Legendary. I hope you're having a great month. You guys are in store for a treat today. Yes. We are sitting here. Yes, yeah, you can feel the excitement. We are sitting here the in the same place. Well, there's, there's some palpable things. We're sitting here in the same room to record this podcast, and it's not just me and Jonathan. No. We have a special guest. The return of a special guest. The return. The it's sequel. The rise. The rise of Skywalker. <laughs> no, actually, this <laughs> is my second time. It's like... Are we having him on again? <laughs> Isn't there anybody else we could to, get? <laughs> we're going to build this up to the point that you could not meet the expectation that we're going to set. It's true. Okay, good. No, it's true. <laughs> no, don't do that. <laughs> no, you've already probably put it together. We are so excited to have Jeff Hartzenfeld with us again today. I know we've got an exciting topic we're going to talk about. I'm going to let Jonathan intro it a little bit, but I do want to take time and mention... Um, that we love you guys, we appreciate you, and I know that this is going to be meaningful and exactly what you need as you're listening today. Yeah, for sure. For the past few months, we've been praying about different various topics, and and the idea of family has come up um, several times. Yeah. 
Um, I know some of our single guys out there aren't at this stage of life yet, but likely you will be at some point. And uh, in this life of mis- of a missionary, we have mm-hmm. these different stages of before we have kids, having kids, young kids, and it's like we had one of our children on the field, and and so there's like these all these different seasons with children that you're walking through. And I think on an earlier podcast we had said, you know, we take our kids through all of these challenges, all of these uh, emotional roller coasters, and the culture shock, and all of that. And they're going through all of these experiences without the emotional maturity that we are tackling them with. Yeah. And how do we as men, as fathers, husbands, leaders, how do we approach each stage? And so it's been our heart to do a a family podcast. And so this is one of the core purposes for Legendary. Right. Yeah. 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 Jeff, you've been through every single one of those stages and kind of like, from the front end and now now on the other side of it completely. And now you have... I don't know if we can say this, but Grandpa Jeff. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, you can say it. It's, <laughs> yeah, what do they call I'm you? I'm good with it. Uh, pop-up. 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 Right. Right. Yeah. Grandparenting has got its own, uh, its own thing. And I didn't... You know, first when my oldest daughter said she was pregnant and they were going to have a baby, I'm like, I'm not sure I'm ready to do this thing yet. I'm too young to be a grandfather, you know? But yeah. then, you know, once you get into it, it's like... Everybody told me it was going to be awesome, but then it was like, whoa. So, has it been like when we go, you know, stepped into missions for my parents who were in ministry before, it was still a real challenge to like put their kids on a, on a plane and not see their grandkids and stuff like that. Right. You, you've had that experience. You understood it completely, but now you're having to walk the walk and right. put, put your kids on a plane yeah. and send them to right. another country with Kelly yeah. and Tim. Yeah. So how has that been for you? Where have you been kind of like, I don't know if I can You know, this. it's a little easier just because, um, you know, Indonesia was our home. Hmm. It's Kelly's home. So I'm not sending them to this place that Unknown. there's unknowns to us. Now, right. it doesn't mean we don't miss them terribly and... You know, but you know, with the modern technologies today, you you get a lot more uh, connections. So, right. Um, right. I I don't want to put myself in the same category that my parents or that Liz's parents were in when we, you know, deserted them. They say you know all those years ago, but uh, certainly, whenever you're separated from people you love, doesn't matter what the circumstances are. Mm-hmm. It's it's hard. It's difficult, but easier for us, I think, and we believe in what they're doing. Yeah. That makes it really helpful. So. Yeah. Sure. Well, and, and how much, as a regional director, now you can kind of see how family is affecting each unit and each missionary. How much is the family card playing in our choices, our decisions to stay? Well, it definitely varies. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've talked repeatedly in the region about values. So, you know, values are these things that are our guiding decision-making principles. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people may say, well, I don't have a set of values. You have a set of values. How do you spend your time? How do you spend your money? And how do you make your decisions? Right. So like, and, and what are you doing with all those things that you have at your disposal? So how you spend those things and make your decisions are determining what you value the most. So, you know, I used to joke with the men in my church at um, ICA in Indonesia, and I would say, 
you know, what's your number one value? And the men would say, well, it's my family. And I said, well, then why don't you spend any time with them? Wow. <laughs> well, you know, it's yeah. like easy to say, I value my family the most. Now, they would come back at me and say, well, all my work and everything I do is to support the family. So, right. you know, men sometimes determine that, flesh that value out by support. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, that's just only one way that we we show that value. So, as as we'll say, you know, missionary families are fleshing out some of these things with family. No two families are really ever identically the same. But I would also add that family issues and issues with children are probably the number one factor in while well, say longevity sure. in stress Absolutely. and a lot of these things. So learning to manage, I don't know, maybe manage isn't the best way to do it, but say it, but learning to do family properly and correctly is a major factor. Yeah, I'd like to add to that. Uh like I'd like you to expound on that is what I mean, because I think everyone's passion or heart's cry is that their family thrive on the field, that right. they see their kids making meaningful relationships, that they see them growing in that. How do we, what are some of the things that you saw that really worked for your family as, and you can start, it's different at different stages, I understand that, but what are some things that you can remember? And maybe what are some things that you did that didn't work that you could share with us too? <laughs> well, let me just say that, you know, when when I start talk about, you know, parenting here, all of a sudden, everybody listening's got different things in their mind. Absolutely. So, you know, preceding this podcast, we were talking about, hey, you're going to do this thing on family. And I said, well, I feel like now I've, I've, I'm in the fourth of what I call our four stages of parenting. So you parent when the kids are young. And that's like, you know, babies to, you know, young children. And then you're a parent of teens. Mm-hmm. And then you are a parent to young adults, college students, unmarried. And then you're a parent to uh, your adult children, whether they are married, single, or starting to start, you know, have their own family. So, you know, I, I feel like I've I've been through some of those, you know, different stages. And and let me just, I don't know if I can, that, this question, man, I could talk for an hour right now just on what Sam asked me, but yeah. let the, here's the one thing I think everybody should know here is no matter what stage of the game you're at, all the best stuff I did, I got from other people. Mm-hmm. That's cool. So, so the problem that we have, and I, this is when I started out parenting, I used to say I operated on default family settings. Mm-hmm. So like a computer's got a default. So you you start to you know I don't know if they have them so much anymore with all the operating systems. No, but, continue yeah. on this thought. I want to hear what you think of computers. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, let me just say this. You know, I predate computers. Okay, I was I was a I was a worker on the field. You know, and 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 still using floppy drives. You know, oh, my children got a telephone call and an actual telephone the other day. They didn't know how to use it. <laughs> right. So, so default settings was like, you know, when you got the C prompt, you know, back in the old days, you know, but, but a default is, you know, even if you're going to reset an operating system, all information is gone, everything. So you're, you're back at the original creator's starting point. Mm -hmm. 
So default family settings are you've got your first kid and you default back to what your parents did. Mm. Scary. It is scary. Sometimes. Um, for some, that's right. Yeah. And some come from, and you know, people come from different kinds of family backgrounds. And some, I, I, you know, I would, you know, categorize my upbringing as fantastic. Yeah. But I remember my my daughters, like you know, just my my early years, and like um, I'm getting angry, and I'm saying things to her, and I'm like, I sound just like my father. That's I what I mean, scary. <laughs> like yes. I actually had great upbringing, but when I was growing up, I was thinking, well, I'm not going to be that. Yes. <laughs> and. and and when I said a few things to my oldest daughter when she was really small that were identical words that my father used, my flashback was not... My flashback went to, how did I feel right. when my father said those things to right. me? And it wasn't good. Mm. Now, doesn't mean that what my father did was necessarily horrible, horrible wrong. He was operating on the same default settings right. that, he, right. that he had, you know? Yeah, yeah. So... When I had that experience, I said to myself, something has to change. Mm -hmm. Those words can't come out of my mouth. And so I started to do some things that were purposeful and intentful, you know, being intent about what it was, how I was going to discipline my kids, what I was going to discipline. Because, you know, that's like a big decision. What do I discipline? What do I don't discipline? Sure, sure. You know, what should I, what's worth letting go and what do you really, you know, make an issue of? So, and then how do we do that discipline? Mm -hmm. Who does the discipline? So then I started, when I say I got nothing on my own, because I was operating on my default, I needed to read books. Mm. Because I was operating on a default, I would look at families with good kids and say, so... Can you tell me a couple things about what you're doing here? <laughs> because I could tell things are going well for you. Yeah. And let's face it, we've all been in the room where we're like, those kids are just unbelievable. What's going on with it? You know? right. Or the opposite or the is, opposite. those kids are unbelievable. I can't imagine being the parent. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, so these were all things that were going through my mind. But I want you to know it was intentional, it was humble. So approaching parenthood at any of these four levels I talked about with a level of arrogance will take you out. Your kids will take you out. Mm -hmm. And and let me just say that, you know, I feel like we've we've done a, a good job with our kids. I feel like we've been successful at these different levels. It's by the grace of God. Mm. We've had struggles along the way with, with some of the kids, and yet I would say if you're a parent listening, to, if you're a father listening to this and, and you've got some major issues going on with your kids, please, even though I feel like we did some things right or well, realize I see it was the grace of God. I, I mean, you know, yeah. it's tough. It's yeah. a, tough, uh, a tough thing to bring kids up in the world. Yeah. So. You know, we found that the ability to kind of make audible changes along the way is so important. Even if you have a good foundation of your approach to discipline, what values you're setting for your kids, they're going through culture shock. They're going through hormonal changes. They're going through growth, physical changes. They're, they're going through all of these things and you can't 
right. uh, at different stages. You can't just apply the same. That's right. The same thing, get the same result. Oh, yeah. So constantly, Melissa and I, we're, we're, we'll, we'll sit down sometimes where um, there, there's two things that usually come up. It's one, London or Finley, they're, you know, they're kind of acting like this. They're going through this stage or season or they've had this going on. How can we react to that as parents? What's the best reaction to, to bring ourselves into unity in our approach? I think that's so yeah. important in, in that we're just in agreement with how we're going to approach it. But then also sometimes the stress of what we're dealing with as missionaries starts to affect the way I communicate with my kids and my patience level with my kids. Mm-hmm. And being aware of that, and even there's times where we said to to each other, you know, I feel like my patience has just been Exhausted. really poor. Yeah, yeah really poor. And I, I'm really trying to work on that and be aware and not just, you know, react out of my, you know, stress. So I would take that as a question. And mm-hmm. I'm sure you were at that point many times. I think every father was there. Absolutely. Was there any safeguards or were there any things that you were intentional about to make sure that you weren't just responding a knee-jerk reaction from the stress that was in your life to a simple request? You know, sometimes it's just the the kid asking for water the second time after they're in bed. Right, you know, right. uh, was there anything that you could identify that that you were intentional about during those times? Well, you know, being sensitive to the Holy Spirit as a father. So, you know, I want you to know that I prayed, like we all do, but I, I think it's noteworthy to remind everyone that I prayed for my kids by name every day. Mm. I prayed the same three things every day, on top of other things, but three things never were not prayed for. Um, I prayed that they would uh, walk with the Lord every day of their lives. Mm. So it was like, Lord... Salvation is top of my priority list here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even if they were sick, even if they had a test, even if they mm-hmm. had, you know, these other things, it was like, you know, Lord, number one, I'm praying that, you know, they're going to walk with you all the days of their life and know you from a young age. Number two, I pray that they would have a Christian spouse. Mm-hmm. So that was something I prayed for every day. I, I didn't get weird where some parents, I, I don't know if this is weird, but some parents are like, I'm praying by name for the person or like, I'm, I didn't pray for specific people. I just prayed, Lord, I'm I'm asking you that you will provide for my child. Uh, of course, I had three girls, so it was like I want a man after God's own heart. I want somebody right. who loves the Lord. So right. those are two things. And then thirdly, it was a bit of a selfish prayer, but I was like, Lord, I would be happy if all of my kids went into the ministry. Oh wow! Yeah. Now it it doesn't mean that I like it wasn't a demand. I always knew the third request was like pushing the edge of they're unique, they're special, they can make their own decision. But right. I'm like. Hey, I'm allowed to ask anything I want sure. here, God. So sure. I'm asking for that. Um, and then I prayed for other things. So I did pray, you know, daily for the kids. Now, when I say about the spiritual thing, when I hit some of those levels of frustration, and I probably said something, reacted a certain way, or did something that the next morning, as I was in prayer before the Lord, I felt like I had crossed a line I shouldn't have crossed. Mm-hmm. There were times where I needed to go to my kids and say, hey, mm-hmm. I'm sorry yeah. that I got mad at you yeah. the other day. Yeah. Will you forgive me? And, you know, the kids, the, the kids are kids. They're like, you know, they didn't even sometimes know what was going on, but it was good for me to do it. Yeah. But they would say, yes, daddy, I forgive you. Mm-hmm. You know, and so uh, being humble enough with 
small and any age child and say, boy, you know what? I, I blew it there, so I pray. I'm asking for you to forgive me. And that sets a big example uh, for our kids, I think. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And it sets up a uh, really healthy expectation because I noticed, I, I was just thinking as you were talking about this, the one time where I reacted very strongly towards um, Liam. And and it was, and I even remember as it was coming out of my mouth, I'm thinking, what am I doing? Yeah. This is totally <laughs> over the top, irrational, and like it silenced them immediately. And I felt awful. And I came back that evening when I was putting all the kids to bed and the other kids heard me say that to him. And I came back to him and I said, Liam, I was wrong. Yeah. I am so sorry. And I saw his eyes tear up a little bit, but I saw my girls watching. And my prayer when I went to bed that night was, Lord, let this instill in them that same culture, that same attitude, and forgive me for acting that way. Mm-hmm. But that that's humbling as we, a father. We reflect the father heart of God to our children. The reason why people are, a lot of people in the world today are messed up with God as a father and far from him is because their own fathers haven't, refl- if that's what a father's like, right? I don't want anything they to do with it. They don't want anything to do right. with it. Right. But, and and, and I, I don't want you to think for a minute that I tried to be God to my children. No, no. But I tried to reflect what I think God the father would have been yeah. to my kids and and I didn't do it perfectly and didn't do it, you know, right every time. And at the same time, I was conscious that how I handled a lot of things would affect them in the long run. Yeah. So and I'm I'm curious, we we talked a little bit about this in, in one of the last podcasts, but how did you maintain balance between ministry family? I'm yeah. fascinated by that because that was a constant shift in in my childhood of trying to we're all part of the mission whether my kids signed up for it or not they're they're on the journey and they're it's on not train. a job it, this isn't a job for us no this is a mission yeah. it's um, a lifestyle and, too it, and yeah it's a lifestyle yeah. and mission carries a different weight than job yeah and so it can often fight for priority mm-hmm. and uh my dad always said you know god had shown him that he cares way more about him than his ministry. And that is some, that's been a driving thought in my head as I've stepped into sure. this yeah. role. Yeah. But for you, I, I know that still, it's a battle. It's an ongoing battle. So how, how, did, how did you handle that like sort of weighing between ministry requirements, responsibilities, and, and, uh, and family? Well, since one of my son-in-laws may listen to this podcast and check with my daughter. I got to be careful how I grade myself here. So so let me let me try to be as fair and honest as I can and say probably in this one area I was probably more like a C plus B minus at best, all right? Right, right. So I probably didn't do this area perfectly because I was driven hard and mm-hmm. worked hard. I mean, part of my uh, upbringing, and I would even say, like personal, you know, DNA is to to be a workaholic a bit. Okay, sure. So, as parents, Liz and I always talked about divide and conquer. Mm-hmm. So, um, a child doesn't need two mothers. So, men, you know, kind of keep that in mind too. That right. you know, it doesn't mean you need to be present twenty four seven because if you are, then no work is ever going to get done. Right. right? Right. So, you know, there has to be a little bit of this, you know, you're, you're finding that balance. I think you use the word balance, and I think that's a good word to use. Um, 
allow the minutia of ministry not to take priority over your kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But when somebody died and I had to do a funeral, it, it was like, I know we said that we were going to take a day off today, but but we can't. Right. I know that we said that we were going to, you know, I, I remember this was like a, a, a moment embedded in my mind and the minds of my kids. You know, we had the 2004 uh, Asian, you know, the Indonesian tsunami. And, you know, I knew my involvement was going to be huge in that recovery effort. And to say I wouldn't be spending a lot of time away from family would be just lying to myself. So when I got back from the first trip, knowing that was going to happen, it was one of these family days because I'd been gone for practically about two weeks and had some very traumatic experiences. So Liz made this beautiful lunch. We I arrived back in the morning that day and um, took about four hours. And I just told the story of what I did over the two weeks. Wow. I mean, and the kids were just at the edge of their seats around the lunch table. We never moved from the lunch table. So all the girls are listening to, you know, everything that happened. So at the end of the time, I said, girls, this is a big event and everyone's, this isn't just something that happened to me. This is a global event. Mm-hmm. And something needs to be done to help these people. And daddy is going to be busy with a lot of this stuff. Your sacrifice over the next year is going to be re- is to, to to release me to be away more than I would normally be away, and that's what you're going to have to give to these tsunami victims. You may not go up and hand out food or help rebuild a home or or, or minister the gospel to people that are hurting, and and they ended up did they did make one trip up there. But I said you're going to need to release me yeah. to go up there and do that, and that will be what God will credit to you. And I know that that's a horrible thing in some ways. It's like God will give you credit for it at the end of the day. But, but at least it was at times we talked about it. Yeah, you acknowledged. You acknowledged it. It wasn't just, hey, daddy needs to do this. See you later. Yeah, and suck it up and be right, quiet about right. it. But it was like, you'll, it'll, be, it'll count for you. Yeah. So, um, and then it was interesting, you know, this, is, this may sound a bit self-serving, but we, we did this newsletter that we sent out, you know, based on the tsunami, and my kids each drew a picture. I, this was at their own, you know, their own doing. So they were all drawing pictures. And I remember I had talked about a story of a little girl that I had uh, rescued. You probably remember at the Vanuatu retreat, I talked about this little girl that was getting beat up by a guy yeah. over some food. Yeah. And I had told their story of that. So my one daughter that was about the same age as that girl drew a picture and said, my dad is a hero. He saved a little girl mm-hmm. and wrote and had a picture of this whole thing. Wow. And we put it in our newsletter. Yeah. But, you know, it was ministry. You've got to make your kids inclusive, but not forced. So now beyond the tsunami. Right. So one of, some of the things that we did in ministry were we never made our kids do, it was kind of more voluntary. Mm-hmm. You know, we pastored a church, we had an outreach in the garbage dump that went every Saturday. Right. So this big outreach in the garbage dump every Saturday, we never made it mandatory for the kids to go. Right. But we gave them things to do if they wanted to go. And I would say they probably came 60, maybe different ones, 70% of the time. Mm-hmm. But there were weeks that were like, we don't want to go. Now, because I was pastoring the church on Sunday, it wasn't like 
I'm not going to church today. <laughs> right, right, right. That's <laughs> there there that's were non-negotiables. Yeah. But. but when we got to the point where we had four services on Sunday, yeah, I didn't make them go to every service. Every service, right? Yeah. So, so we we kind of made it, a, you know, a little bit volunteer, but we we I did spend a lot of time traveling and doing different things. But open communication was helpful, and I have yet to have one of my daughters come up to me and say. I've got major regrets and um upset over the fact that you were gone all the time. Yeah. I mean, my my one daughter who was in basketball, I mean, she was in a tournament once in the city and you know, and it was on Sunday and she played in the tournament. Now some people would be like, How could you let her play in the tournament? She played in the tournament, but I could get to the tournament, but it was like I said amen from the pulpit and I walked straight out the door of the church, got in my car, and I, I went, went to go see my daughter play basketball. There, yeah. I think you're saying something really important and as as a kid that grew up in that too and you you grew up in a missionary family but uh Sam but um the inclusivity that you had inclusiveness not just in in the activity of ministry but also bringing them into the understanding of what our family is a part of mm-hmm. and explaining to them um why this is important and what God has you know, put on your heart, I think that transfers something to them that is, is not, it's, it goes beyond just then you're, it's not just a job, you know? Right. And, right. and also they feel like they're taking part in it. Yeah. They, um, they begin to participate in it as well. They take ownership of it because yeah. you, you've taken the time to acknowledge this isn't just what mom and dad do. This is what we do. And this is why it's significant. And I know, I know in my personal life growing up as, as a missionary kid and seeing my dad always go and my mom always do these things the the, one of the things that, that made me, and I'm talking being surrounded by other missionaries from other organizations. Cause I went to this international school and there were many there that just mm-hmm. absolutely hated yeah. being a missionary, hated, yeah. hated the fact that they were forced into this life. Yeah. And I, I completely could not identify with them. I, it, in fact, it shocked me when some of them started to express that to me. Hmm. And the one difference was, is my parents always took the time, first and foremost, I knew that they loved me. Mm-hmm. I knew that they loved me, and they were very intentional about that. But this was a family journey. This was a family, and my dad allowed time that if something was out of whack, he would put the brakes on. It, something would would have to be drastic for that, but he would put the brakes on, right? And he would say, "Okay, you know, something's going on with whether it was my sister or myself or something." And he would pull back sometimes from those other responsibilities. And I remember two times where he put everything on hold. One time significantly where he drove me on a Saturday where he had a ministry plan, but I really wanted to go rollerblading with a buddy. He drove me an hour and a half from our house. Hmm sat in the car for two and a half hours mm. while I rollerbladed and just sat there and read a book, got back in the car. He wasn't stressed. And I was old enough that I understood what he was giving up. Mm. And we, cause I was a uh, sophomore in high school and I got back to the house and it just hit me. Wow. My dad said no to this ministry that was normal, that was planned just so I could do this. And he didn't even get anything out of it. Yeah. And I went and talked to him. I said, thank you so much. He's like, yeah, you're important. And I just remembered how much that meant to me. Yeah. Uh, and th- that was one of those times, I think, you know, not every time are we going to put the brakes on, but there are times where it's needed. Well, I think you put the brakes on when you can put the brakes on. Right. And I think the extreme on one side is 
we never put the brakes on for right. anything. Right. The extreme on the other side is Always we put on. the brakes on for everything. <laughs> and and I see both of those things going on. Oh, you want ice cream? Yeah, and, we're not going to church today. That's yeah, good. we're that's right. Yeah. And and then the I don't want to say the kids rule the their lives, but then it there's there is this whole balance, the right. balance that you talked about. Yeah. You know, I want to I want to also make a comment that you know, our kids loved going to church so much that like if they were sick or something, they would beg us if they could go to church. And and here was like some of my observations that I started making. This again, I was an observer and I asked people. So I was with a missionary couple, now since retired, but I was with a missionary couple and their kids were now young adults back in the States and significantly struggling. Mm. And I started to like, you know, ask some probing questions. And then I I had the opportunity to meet one of the adult MKs when I was back in the States. And I said, How's it going? Where are you going? Are you going to church anywhere? And they said, No, we're not. And I said, Well, why not? And they said, Well, we never went to church when we were on the mission. Field. Now, but wait a minute. There, it doesn't mean they didn't go. Yeah. Right. But it meant that they were never part of community. Yes. Yeah. And see, I think somehow you've got to get your kids to love community yeah and they'll stay with that community as they and I saw that happen in the lives of my kids was they they love community enough that when they got back to the states one thing I said to them is I know you're going to go to you know the older kids went to Valley Forge I'm like you're going to go to um, a Christian college but um you got to go to church and I want you to get in community with people and they did and it was, um, and I have other stories because I interacted with their pastors and they're like, your kids always come and they're always here and they're helping out in ministry. You know? yeah, yeah. But um, they they liked community. I think that's really important that um, even if, and, and, and it's not just good to have a service at home, they've got to be attending or doing something on a regular basis, whether it's your host church or your your and uh, go into an an IC fellowship or right. something like that mm-hmm. to give these kids the sense of we we like Christian community and um that was important to us now one other real quick note on this too um i remember when uh, my oldest went from elementary to uh junior high and the way we had worked our children's church was we had a junior high friday night service but we didn't have a junior high sunday school at the time mm-hmm. And Sunday school, or we called the super church, kind of ran in conjunction with the with the morning services. So I remember when my daughter gets into junior high and she comes up to she goes, we had like, you know, two, three services on Sunday. She goes, so daddy, um, I'm going to come in here. You preach at least once every Sunday. Now, I know that doesn't sound like a big deal, but <laughs> it was a big deal because oh, yeah. all of a sudden now I'm looking out in the audience and the sermon I'm delivering is being heard that's by the awesome. tender ears and the tender heart of my children. Yeah. yeah. And when your kid wants to hear you preach? It, it's not just that, but there was the pressure of what I said in the pulpit better line up mm. with what I'm doing at home yeah. and yeah. how I'm living in front of our kids. And I think one of the big things that MKs, PKs, and ministry kids in general struggle with Mm. is that what their dads are saying in the pulpit 
is not lining up with what I see at home, mm. how I see them treat people, etc., etc., etc. And if I have one piece of advice for especially young fathers, man, just make sure that what you say, if you're talking about having devotions early in the morning, you're doing it. And you're walking out of your room at nine o'clock and not getting up till then. Right. Boy, kids will call you out. Yeah. Kids yeah. will call you out. So when I think back to, to my childhood, one of the things that I think I gained was I didn't just love church. I think loving church is something different than loving being in the presence of God. And I think my parents, we had spiritual experiences in the presence of God together as a family outside of the community of our church. And I think that was really important. And I fell in love with being in the presence of God. Right, Church was the yeah, place. Yeah. It was the vehicle to get to that yeah. uh, in, in some in, in, in sometimes. But I want my kids to love the presence of God, not just love church. Yeah, I want to pivot just a little bit because we've talked about, I think, young fathers and we're young fathers, and but there's guys out there that have just literally shipped their kids off back to the States. Right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I dread that day. <laughs> I, mean, I dread it. I mean, I, I, I've thought about it. I mean, we had to think about it when we first became missionaries. You can't help but think, I'm going to have kids. And one day, if I'm still in Japan, I'm going to put them on a plane. Am I willing to do that? I better make that decision now. Oh, it's it's a crazy thought. I mean, uh, <laughs> next, itin yeah. next itineration for That's us. Right, Liam, are, yeah, yeah. I, it's yeah. it's almost unbelievable to me. Okay, well, let me let me just back up a little bit because the, the success of that doesn't happen. Well, I blew it when they were young. I blew it when they were a teen, but now all of a sudden I'm going to have some success as an yeah. adult. You know, <laughs> this thing is, there's, there's layers built on this thing. So right. let, if, if it's okay, and I know this is more like a conversational podcast, but let me give you first the, what I called were my four D's of discipline. So like when they were little, what things was I going to move on as a father? Okay. Yeah. Right. So, um, and by the way, it's all about negotiating with your wife. It's all about, and what I mean by negotiating is, you know, hostage negotiation. Yeah, and it's like, <laughs> what do I get involved in, and what do I not get involved in right. as the father? Because yeah. I was like the big hammer, you know what I mean? Like yeah. when it was big, I got involved, you yeah. know. Um, and truthfully, there were times where we, I don't want to say we weren't on the same page, but it was like we need to have a discussion in the bedroom, not in front of them, on how we're going to handle this. Right. Mm. So um, ultimately. I left a lot to Liz, but there were moments where I was like, I'm deciding this. And and I and I did. And then, you know, we we went forward like that. So um four D's of discipline. Four things that were like non-negotiables for me and discipline was gonna happen. Number one was what I called direct disobedience. Mm. So it's not just disobedience, mm -hmm. it's direct disobedience. So if I told my kids to do something and they flew in my face, yeah, and yeah. and right in front of me, disobeyed, defied me, yeah, it was instantaneous disciplinary action. 
Sneaky disobedience was not as bad for me because it meant that they respected me enough that they were willing <laughs> to sneak it behind my back. That's an interesting but, way to look at it. But, but when I said yeah. no cookie out of the cookie jar and, and, they, and their it. eyes looked at me and they opened it up and they took it out oh, right yeah. in front of me, right. it was like, you're done. Yeah. Now, I've seen this happen and parents don't move. So, so direct disobedience was a big deal to me if they were defying me to my face. Now, if it was disobedience, I caught them in, there was punishment, but it was not as severe as a direct disobedience, okay? Mm-hmm. So direct disobedience was a, was a big deal to me, especially when they were smaller. Oh, yeah. Number two, dishonesty. Mm-hmm. So four Ds of discipline, direct disobedience, dishonesty. And so if, I, if they got caught lying to me, I did not tolerate lies. Right. Lies were like, this is what erodes trust. Yeah. This is what will take down the family unit is when you're tolerating and you know somebody's lied. Okay. It's dishonesty. Third thing was uh, disrespect of other elders, like elders. Mm. My children would not have walked up to you and said, Hey, Jonathan, how are you? Now, some people don't like my stance on these things. You would have been Uncle Jonathan, mm-hmm. Aunt Melissa, Mr. Lawrence, Mr. Paris. Mrs. Paris, um, I wasn't from the South, so I didn't have yes sirs and no sirs quite as much. Right. But my five-year-old was not going to be on a first-name basis with you. Mm. You're an adult. Yeah. You're a child. Yeah. I, you know, we had house help in Indonesia. I did not tolerate disrespect of the maid. I did not tolerate disrespect of the, of the, these are adults mm-hmm. and your teachers. So, so respect of elders was a huge thing for me that you you give respect. Now, if they got into a, a, a squabble with a teacher and this happened, you get your parents involved. But it's not your job to, you know, disrespect right. uh, you know, that that elder. Right. So we 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 laid protocols down for our kids so that they would give proper respect to adults. Fourth D was the disregard of other people's rights and property. Mm. So if my kid walked into your house and took a marker out and started writing on the wall, it was immediate it's a big deal. disciplinary action. Right. And if they were in a restaurant running around screaming, disturbing oh, yeah. other people's meal times, it doesn't mean I didn't allow my kids to run around and scream, but there was a place for it. Right. Right. And so those were the four D's that and it's funny, John Taylor heard me do these. He goes, there's one more D. I go, what did he? he goes, disrupting the service. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that so, falls in line with that last one. Kind of. Yeah. But but he's like, disrupting the church service. He goes, his father would call him out from the pulpit when he was a pastor. It's like, <laughs> John, move to where your mother is in Gosh, the oh, Wow. <laughs> so, um, but but you've got to have the will to do this. This is where I think, you know, yeah. parenting comes in is like, we, we've, we've got to have the will to do it and be on the same page with our spouse, mm-hmm. that these are the important kinds of, uh, of things. Now, if you've got this kind of foundation laid, you go into your teen years. And I would say in your teen years, what you're, how do you send somebody off to college? What you're building in teen years is you're building trust. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're building people into being good decision makers. Mm. And if you've built this thing where 
lies aren't tolerated, direct disobedience isn't tolerated, you know, then all of a sudden you're, you are having some of these more open, you know, dialogues about, right. you know, different things. So, so part of how I operated to build trust in my teens and to make them into decision makers was when they said they were going to the movies with their friends, I didn't ask what movie they were going to watch. People look at me like, what? <laughs> um, I never told them what TV show they were allowed to watch or not allowed to watch. I also never told them what music they were allowed to listen to or not allowed to listen to. Now, what you do, though, is you build a criteria. Mm -hmm. So what kinds of movies should we be watching? What kind of movies should we not be watching? Mm. And for the record, all of my kids made dumb mistakes. <laughs> and... <laughs> got punished for it. Mm. But it was a conversation that said, you made a bad decision. Right. And let's talk about it. And here's why mm -hmm. I think you shouldn't be. Here's the criteria. And you, you blew it here. So I think what happens to MKs and parent and kids who've been like, you know, the helicopter parent thing is we've made all their decisions for them. Right. All of them. Right what movies they watch, what TV shows they watch. We've, we've controlled every aspect of their life. And then we put them on a plane, send them to America by themselves, and, and expect them to make adult yeah. decisions when they've never made an adult decision in yeah. their entire life. It's like a theme park. They're just We're foolish. crazy. Yeah. We're foolish to do that, that yeah. kind of thing. Right. So I started early on in their teen years. So things like, for instance... Hey, after youth group tonight, we're going with a group of our friends and somebody's going to give me a ride home. Somebody with a driver. Somebody lives right. in a neighborhood. Okay. Um, I never said, be home by. I always said, what time are you going to come home? Mm -hmm. You make the decision on your curfew. I'm not deciding that. It's your decision. Now, they're like, well, I talked to my friend. I think it's going to be 12 midnight. And I'm like, that's unacceptable. You're going to need to come up with another time because that's too late. But they were then processing, and then we, why can't I come home at midnight? Well, because anything that happens after 11 o'clock at night is usually bad. And the only people out in the streets <laughs> at that time of night are bad. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know? right. So, so it is allowing them to make their decision, processing through those decisions. And then when they're on their own, mm -hmm. what time should I come home to my dorm tonight? Well, when they've never made that decision. Right. There's no You've frame always of made it for them. Yeah. There's no frame of reference. Yeah. And I think this is where, as a teen, you've got to start to back away as a parent. So, fathers yeah. listening. That's good. It's That's actually really good. less is yeah, better. Yeah. And trust, because you're, you're saying, I trust you to make a good decision yeah. on what music you're going to listen you're to. You're allowing that space. Allowing that space. Yeah. Wow. I, that that's something that I'm I'm really glad you brought that up because Liam's just now going into that teenage years and and he's still he's very much out of all my kids he's the rule follower so he's always Dad what should I watch what should mm -hmm. I do who mm -hmm. should I talk to and so uh, that that that's good I'm gonna apply that and and setting some boundaries isn't wrong like right. don't just say watch anything you want but right. say <laughs> shows you know what about the language in the shows right what are the shows about and talking about these criteria gives some boundaries, because they do need boundaries and rules. Absolutely. But they'll make some mistakes along the way. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And for us, it's been 
consistency and follow through has have been for yeah. especially for the younger kids. Um, That's and, right. and, and I, I think if little you, kids shouldn't be given those kinds of no, decision making. But if you do the the consistency and follow through at the young age, I think at the older age it gets yeah. easier. That's right. And I've seen parents be like, "Well, you know, uh, you, you're going to go to bed at eight, you know, and then and then eight rolls around, and it's like there's no follow through to that previous, right. you know, set, an, set empty, of it's an empty state. Hey, once my kids became teenagers, I gave no bedtime at all. Wow. Now, there was a moment where I realized that they were up too late on things like social media was starting to come into play and those things like that. So, at 10 o'clock at night, I unplugged the internet at our house. Oh, wow. That's great. Every night, I unplugged the internet and I just said, because a lot of their stuff was online and they needed to submit reports and do some things. I was like, well, just make sure it gets done by 10 o'clock. Wow. And then I'm going to unplug the internet. You know? <laughs> so, so, you know, and, and so it was, that was like a little bit more of a, you know, I, I trust was like being a road and I'm like, I'm helping you by doing this. Right. Yeah. yeah. You don't have to worry about it. Right. The plug right. came out, you know. Man, this has been some great discussion. I think as, as, as we're wrapping this up, that's a good point to end on as parents do not, we cannot be naive about technology. Yeah, we right. do not have the luxury of being dumber than our kids with technology. And, I, and I, I, it's a challenge, right? It's a challenge because kids are always going to be ahead, one step ahead. But we have got, as guys, as men, we have got to safeguard our house. Yeah. We, have got yeah, to, yeah. we have got to be careful about what's coming into our house and what we're allowing and the freedom with which... We're allowing, and I, and I I totally agree. I think I think you can you can swing the other way, um, and then not let your kids get in the practice of making good choices for themselves. But your kid has no business being on the internet at two a.m. Right? You know, Agreed. I mean, there's That's like right. there's yeah. there's just certain practical things that we have got to do. So I, I love that this has been sent out in an email by Greg recently a couple times about filters for our internet. And yes. uh, if you if your kids have an access to a computer. You need a filter on there, right? Like you right. need a filter because kids are curious; and they yeah. they will get on there. And it's now is the time to do it because yeah. that if you wait too long and then it happens, then there's already that problem there, and then it's yeah. so much better just headed off at the pass yeah. before any of those issues arise. Hey, I want to say one more thing about teens, real quick. I know we're trying to wrap this no, up, but yeah. like I said, we could kind of go on all day here. But one of the things that was a key to having the teens was. Teens go through this phase where they start to want to cut you out. Mm-hmm. Mm. And one of the big mistakes of parents of teens is they take it personal. Mm. So, like, the teen is like, I don't want to talk to you right now. Mm-hmm. Or, don't come into my room. Or, and it's like, fine. Then when you want to talk to me, you can come to me. You know, like, I think sometimes a parent kind of, like, takes that so personal. So, I had a regular practice that I'd sometimes be out on ministry in the evenings so I'd always try to come home for dinner. We'd have dinner together. And I usually, probably three or four nights a week, I'd be, Liz and I together, or me alone would be out doing ministry. I'd come home usually 9, 30, 10 o'clock. And the kids, the older kids were up. I'd knock on their door every night, knock on their door. Hey, everything going okay? Dad, I don't want to talk right now. I'm busy with my homework. Please leave me alone. You know, it's like, okay, no, it's good. But I never took it personal. And I'd knock on that door every night. And for seven days, it would be like, Leave me alone. Yeah. But on day eight, it would be like, oh, 
yeah, I'm going through just a hard time right now with one of my friends. Mm. Oh, well, let's talk about it. I want to hear about it. But I, I didn't take personal these stages that the teens went through, and I remained consistently available to talk, to pray with them. And I think what happens to parents of teens is, as these kids go through these changes, it's like, why have you changed so much? Well, they're going through puberty. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, and, yeah. and they change. So being consistently there for them, loving them, yeah. and available to them, and, and your consistency will break through. And one of the things one of my kids that went off to college said to me is, you know, when I go off to college, the one thing I'm going to miss is that you're not going to be knocking on my dorm door mm. saying, how's it going? Wow. And and so even though I'm like, yeah, well, you rejected me like 400 <laughs> out of 600 times. Like, yeah. but, but see, had I taken that too personal or said, I'm not going to do it anymore, I would have lost out on amazing conversations and amazing times of prayer. And a, a, a child who went off to college, like you said, who said, man, every night my dad was home. He knocked on my door. I wasn't always there for him. Right. <laughs> he was right. always there for me. Right. And and they'll carry that into a, a adulthood with them. And then the last thing I want to say is just with your adult children, because I know we got people out there with adult children. Is yeah. Try not to parent your adult kids. Let things go. I mean, you know, you you don't want them to be, you know, in in complete disaster. But sometimes if we treat our kids, our adult children, as if they're still young kids. You know, let them make some mistakes, even financial mistakes and other things. I've learned I just got to keep my mouth closed as my own kids parent their kids. Mm -hmm. It's like, man, button your mouth. Yeah. Let it go. And by the way, my kids are doing great with their kids. Right. But I am just, I said, I am pop-up. I'm here to love your kids and to give you advice when or if you ever need it and take care of them when you, I'm here as a support not as a parent. Right. So if we can change in our minds, and we may even get a little offended, mm -hmm. but if we can keep our mouths closed, <laughs> if you're listening and you got adult children, don't say anything and you'll be a great parent. Okay. That's good. I've got one last question, and then we're going to close this. What would you say to someone who feels like they've messed up? They've missed it. it they feel almost like it's just too late. Like they've done too much damage, and I guess my relationship with my kids is just going to have to be this transactional, just back and forth, and mm. then they're going to go off to college, and I hope it works out. Or maybe they're at college, and they feel like, I've missed it. What would you say to those people? Prayer, which I think is a given. Yeah. Humility. Own up to the things that you have done wrong or been inconsistent with. I think kids that have gone out now and done maybe a lot of dumb things, mm -hmm. let's say that that... That, that child has gone out and he or she has, you know, maybe made mis relationship mistakes and, and gotten into maybe some drugs and alcohol or some right. things like that. Right. You're actually in a place where you're like, you've completely messed up. But instead of approaching it from that, you you be the humble parent and say, look, I'm sorry for the times I wasn't there. So it's it's prayer, it's humility, and it's not saying anything when maybe you see some things that they might be doing wrong because it's only going to frustrate them yeah. and push them away from you. Yeah. So, you know, we'll pray for you. If you're out there and, and that question is hitting home for you, yeah. there are no easy answers. Yeah. Prayer, humility, and maybe some silence and consistency 
might be able to turn that around and 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 that would be my prayer for the for awesome. pa- for parents like that. Awesome. Yeah. Jeff, thank you awesome. so much. Yeah, this has been great. You know, I know family is is a is a topic that's near and dear to everyone's heart, especially as men being the the head of the household. We've got a lot of growing to do, we've got a lot of leading to do, and it's great to be able to learn from someone who's who's ahead on that journey. Yes. Um and I I just felt as you were saying prayer, I felt like it would be great, Jeff. We've never closed our time this way, but I'd really like you for to pray for the men yeah, in AP and pray for the fathers. fathers and we're just yeah. going to as soon as the prayer's over, we're just going to close the podcast Very that good. way. Well, I love and appreciate you guys what you're doing. I hope this was valuable for those men that are listening. I am just one voice for you men. There's books out there, there's other podcasts, there's many voices that could help you. And so maybe take a few of the nuggets I've given, but do more and hear from more people because my advice isn't perfect. It helped me. So three yeah. imperfect fathers sitting here at different stages. And there I you go. We, we know that. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for all the men listening. And I pray for fathers who are out there right now fathers of young kids, fathers of teens, fathers of young adult children and fathers of children who are already parents. And Lord, I just pray that you would give us wisdom. Give us the art of being a good father. Let us reflect the father heart of God to all of our children, no matter what stage of life that they're in. I pray for the MKs of Asia Pacific, your blessing upon them, your hedge of protection around them. I pray your kingdom come, your will be done in their lives as it is in heaven. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks for listening, guys.